straight out of Scotland, this is the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Dr. R.T. Mullins from the University of St. Andrews. Have you ever wondered why God would create anything at all? Or perhaps you've asked yourself, why would God create a universe like this one? I mean, you might think that out of all the possible universes that God could create, surely he would have created one with less evil than the one we find ourselves in. In today's episode, I sit down with Max Baker-Hitch to discuss problems related to God, evil, and the multiverse. If you have questions or topics that you would like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmullins.com. Well, ready or not, here's Max and I talking about God and evil. Hopefully the discussion is not too grim. Enjoy. So one of the big questions in philosophy is why is there something rather than nothing? Why does the universe exist at all? And as you know, theists claim that the answer is found in the existence and nature of God. Theism says that God created the universe for a particular set of reasons or purposes. So what do you think are some possible reasons for God to create a universe? Yeah, so I think I'll just kind of gesture at three sorts of reason. So theists take it that God is perfectly good. And I mean, that's pretty much built into the concept of God, right? Right. And quite attracted to a view on which goodness is what you might call self-diffusive. So goodness in some sense wants to kind of spread out and expand. And that's sort of just part of the nature of goodness. If something like that view is correct and God is perfectly good, then uh, that would be a, a very powerful reason for God to create. I mean, you might even think that that takes things close to, you know, God almost being bound to create. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where I want to sit on that, but um, yeah, so then another reason would be in terms of God's personhood. So God is a, a perfectly good person, right? Um, or in the Christian tradition, three persons actually, but I'll come on to that in a minute. But in terms of God's personhood, I think for God to be interested in creating persons would uh, would be quite fitting and so um, I think that that would be another reason why God would be interested in um, in creating a world like this which can sustain personhood because that you know is something that God would place a considerable value on and then in terms of the Trinity I think the the thought there would be roughly the uh, so theologians talk about perichoresis, the kind of mutual indwelling of the persons. Oh, within the, the Trinity? Right, within mm -hmm. the Trinity. So somehow that each person like pours himself out into the other two persons of the Trinity. And this is kind of going on from eternity past. And there's something like I can't quite put my finger on it and, and articulate it in a super precise way. But that if this indeed is kind of at the foundation of ultimate reality, then there seems like some sense in which it would be very fitting for this love which is shared between these three persons of the Godhead to kind of spill over. And that would be another reason for creating a universe. Okay, so that fits in a bit with your account of self-diffusive goodness. Mm. So if I say that just a, a single person God, you know, it's part of his nature to be good and mm -hmm. part of that nature of goodness, what it means is to just give more goodness over. Well, if I've got a trinity in the mix, part of the standard Christian claim or the orthodox Christian claim is that 
Well, the reason there are three persons is because this love just has to give over to another divine person and to another divine person. Right. Uh, and then from there you could say, well, what else to do with all that love? Well, maybe, you know, create a universe. So something kind of like this. Exactly. That's the thought. Yeah. Okay. So that gives me some sort of account of why God might create a universe in general. But this leads to other big questions within philosophical theology. So why would God create this universe instead of another one? Because I would imagine that God has lots of options given the wide range of possible universes there are. Yeah, well, I think that's right. Um, God could have created a wide range of possible universes. And I think something I want to say is actually that for all we know, God has in fact created a wide range of universes. Mm. We only have access to the universe that is, you know, that we're physically and spatially related to. So we have no real means of investigating um, these other possible universes. But yeah, I, I think that there's no good argument against God having created other universes. And I think that the only constraint on God's creative activity there would be that he didn't create universes that fell below some threshold of goodness. Mm. So, okay, so sometimes in accounts of, like, God looking at a multiverse, it'll say, you know, some universes are really bad because mm -hmm. there's more bad things in them than good things. Other universes, there's more good things than bad things in them. Mm -hmm. And so those sorts of universes, God could create, possibly create those. The ones where there's a whole lot of awful things in them, that, like, that's just off the table. God can't do that. And so that's part of what you want to say. Those are the only real constraints on God's selection of a universe. Yeah, I think that's right. So, like, a universe in which... You know, there's a bunch of sentient creatures who experience nothing but agonizing pain mm -hmm. all of their lives. Yeah, I'm inclined to think God couldn't create a universe okay. like that. I, I really hope that's the case, too, because yeah. I, I, I would not be able to worship a God like that. Okay, so, well, when I'm looking at some of the possible universes that God could create, like, there's could be like some universes that are just, you know, just filled with blissful creatures. And personally, I would prefer that God create a universe with just blissful creatures instead of a universe filled with harms. Mm. But I mean, I mean, you know, when I look around the universe we're in, there are a lot of harms in this universe. So clearly, I'm not in a purely blissful universe. So why would God create a, like a universe with all these harms instead of just a purely blissful universe? Yeah. So I think you know, obviously, that's a very tough question, and I can only kind of begin to gesture at possible answers to that. So one thought that I find quite plausible is that there are some constraints on our our personal identity, like what. Um, what it takes for me to be the individual I am mm -hmm. such that you couldn't just put me in any world like where um, the history that leads up to my coming into being just varies widely and still get me. So I do think it's plausible that there are some constraints in terms of the causal history that led up to my coming into being that are essential to me being the individual I am. And I think also that probably applies at the level of species as well. And a, a good friend of mine, Vince Vitali, is actually doing some really neat work in this area now. But basically the thought would be, okay, so if it's plausible that human beings have as part of their sort of identity conditions that there's been a particular kind of causal history that led up to their existence, then it's not the case that God could create this very race and these very individuals in a blissful universe. And maybe, you know, God wants this particular race and these particular individuals. And, and like I said before, I don't think that that means God is, only wants us. Like, I think he, he for, for all we know, he has created like loads of other races, right. including the blissful ones. Mm -hmm. But it's just a question of whether 
it's sort of morally permissible for him to create ones like us who come into being in a universe filled with harms. And I think if it's the case that he just couldn't, as a as a matter of sort of logical possibility, mm-hmm. just couldn't have got this species, Homo sapiens, without something like this, uh, this history that we take our world to have had, then then it seems to me that God would be morally entitled to create this this species in this world. Then, of course, the other thing is theologians and philosophers have, have gestured at this sort of thing for centuries. There are certain kinds of goods that God can realize in a world of adversity that he just can't get in a a, a sort of heavenly blissful world. Mm-hmm. So any kind of virtue that that sort of has built into it that that virtue arises in response to a situation of adversity. It's like courage, forgiveness, grace, uh, patience, all of these kinds of virtues. There just isn't a way for them to be manifested uh, in a world that's completely blissful and without without trouble or adversity of any kind. And so I think it's quite plausible that some of the highest virtues of character are among these sorts of things that I've just kind of enumerated, which is to say they, their very existence requires, or, or maybe I shouldn't say their existence, but their manifestation requires okay. a world of adversity. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I, I want to say in terms of, you know, why doesn't God create a blissful world is, well, I guess, you know, according to the Christian tradition, the actual world will eventually be a blissful world. Oh, okay, right. It's just that it doesn't, uh, it is not that way at every point in time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to make sure I'm following along. So if God wants to create a blissful universe, he might well have done, but we don't know because yeah. these other universes, <clears throat> they're spatially and causally disconnected from ours. And yeah. so we don't have access to them, empirical access to them. So maybe he does have a great world like that. But if God wants to create a universe where he's got a Max and Orion in it, well, there's only certain kind of universes that he could do, that he could create with, with people like us in it. Uh, so it's got to have a particular causal history that looks a lot like ours. Yeah. Uh, and if he wants them to, like creatures like you and I, to grow in some kind of virtue, then there's got to be adversity. There's got to be harms for them to confront. That That's kind of the claim you're making. Yeah, that's right. And actually, I think probably should just clarify what I said about, you know, blissful spe- other blissful species, which is that, I mean, it is possible that our un- own universe contains mm. other... Uh, intelligent civilizations oh sure and yeah and you know we might run into them one day and we might find that they're living in a a state of zen and that they are uh, perfectly happy and you know that's that's epistemically possible as far as i'm concerned but yeah i did also want to kind of make the claim that for all we know there Mm. are like whole other universes containing beings like this so our observable universe and beyond our observable universe there might be some creatures that are really blissful they've got their stuff together and and in other possible universes there might be creatures like that as well but also the christian claim is that god with, with creatures on this earth he will eventually make them blissful after they reach a state of virtue yes <clears throat> okay, sounds good. So, okay, so let's talk about some of these adversities and harms that, you, that you're uh, you're gesturing towards. So say that I grant that it's better for God to create a universe with harms. Why would God create a universe with all the harmful things that we find in our particular universe? Because our universe is filled with death, damage, decay, deprivation, and these are really bad things. So surely God would have created a universe without some of those harms. Like, mm. why, why all those? Yeah, I think that... You're right. And it's a a very kind of powerful intuition that says like, okay, like I'm not saying God 
sort of had to create a perfect world, but like surely he could have cleaned this one up a bit mm -hmm. and, and had less of the kind of horrendous stuff. Yeah, and so I think what I want to say to that is that actually when we start to think more deeply about the ways in which these harms are connected to each other, it turns out that it's it's not as easy as you would think to just subtract some of the stuff we don't like mm. and improve the world overall. What I want to claim is that it actually it turns out that you kind of have to have this stuff all together as a package and that if you take away some of these types of harms you'll actually end up with a world that's considerably worse than ours. So, yeah so you talked about yeah um, death, damage, decay, deprivation, mm -hmm. all yeah. the D's. Yeah so maybe would it be helpful if we start kind of fleshing these out and talking mm -hmm. about what what we mean? Yeah so give me like a quick definition I guess of death, damage, decay, and deprivation and then we can look at the combinations of these Yeah ones. good so I mean death so I think the way I want to define this is in terms of a creature sort of ceasing to be able to function bodily mm, in okay. any way such that it can't sort of return from that state. It can't return back to health by any natural process. Right? Okay, so death, biological death, and no possible resuscitation. Yes. Okay. And the reason, so, so I mean, if, you know, let's just suppose for the sake of the argument that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Mm -hmm. Well, according to the definition I just gave you, he did die in right. because... You know, the claim is that God raised him from the dead. Right, because you said death is not being able to be resuscitated naturally. By any natural... Right. right. So, so and that would have applied to Jesus too. Mm -hmm. Right, because it was a miracle, mm -hmm. a supernatural intervention that brought about the resurrection. Okay, so death is... Right. <clears throat> biological death, no possible resuscitation through natural means. You'd have to have a miracle in order That's to bring right. it back. Okay, so tell me a bit about uh, damage now. So yeah, I, damage I guess is any any sort of harm that a, a creature sustains by way of kind of collision or interaction with any other object in the world. Is this just like physical, or is it could be psychological as well? Uh, yeah, so like all the way down from just brute physical collision through like chemical uh, reaction, biological interaction, mm -hmm. psychological, sociological, the whole the whole spectrum. So yeah, I think you can you can have this at many different levels of complexity, but the thing that the sort of common thread is that it's a sort of a structural alteration to mm -hmm. a creature's body that is harmful to the creature that results from some kind of interaction with its with its environment. Okay, so so damage is some harm towards me from the external environment. Yes. Okay. So talk to me about decay now. What's decay? Yeah, so decay would be like structural alteration to the creature's body that is harmful to it. That so, in other words, that like reduces its its health or proper function in some way, but that is not because of the env the environment kind of impacting on it. If, mm -hmm. if you see what I mean. So, I mean, a a case in point here would be. Just imagine a creature that it lives in a world where it, nothing can kind of harm it. There's no diseases. There are no other creatures mm -hmm. out to get it. There are no kind of physical objects flying around that could collide with it. But suppose it's just sort of got a, a, a kind of internal clock that's right. ticking away. Mm -hmm. um, so its its body is going to break down right. no matter kind of how it interacts with the environment. Right, because like as my DNA replicates, I lose, like uh, my strands, they get shorter uh, and that eventually leads to my death, which is right. not great, but that's that's the idea behind decay. That's right. Like this. Okay, so tell me now about uh, deprivation, the final D. 
So yeah, deprivation would be where a creature needs something from its external environment. So whether it be like food or oxygen, obviously those are like physical, biological needs, but it could also be a psychological need, mm. like for friendship or something. Um, and where that good thing from the external environment is withheld from the creature uh, in, in a way that harms it. Okay, good. All right, so now let's look at these these combinations here. So, so one possible world is where we have creatures like you and I, um, and we've got all these harms, but yeah. we don't have death. Why would that be such a terrible world? Yeah, I think the reason it will be such a terrible world in a nutshell is that it would be a world in which it's nomologically possible, which is to say it would be consistent with the laws of nature, that a creature could get itself into a, a pretty bad state, but it would never be able to be finally put out, out of its misery. Mm, okay. You can imagine a creature, you know, gets in a fight with another creature, and the laws of, of this world would be such that that creature can never actually be killed by being in a fight. So it's, you know, but it could be pretty badly messed up. And it's going to have to, you know, limp around in that state, mm -hmm. potentially indefinitely. Right. So if I never die, I could be in a state of misery just forever. And that, that sounds pretty, that sounds pretty terrible. Yeah. And, and actually, another thought about this kind of world is, I, I mean, sometimes when you start to think through in detail what a possible world would have to be like, mm -hmm. it turns out to be like that the the laws of nature in this world would have to be very very different from our world just so just think about this like suppose that we're we're living in a world where we can't die but mm. we can harm each other in all those other ways that we were just talking right. about so think about you know suppose that it's possible to ingest poison and be harmed by it in mm -hmm. this world so you give me a drop of poison and it does an amount of damage to my nervous system. Like it blinds me or, you know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I can't kind of speak properly anymore or something like that. And then you give me another drop of poison and it does some more damage. But then uh, at some point you'll give me a drop of poison and it will do nothing further. Right. Even though I'm still alive. Like that, that, would, be, that would be very bizarre. Yeah. Um, so it was one of your intuitions here that like such a universe, like, the laws of nature there they're just incoherent you couldn't really have a universe like that so i think i want to say like it's i, I don't want to say i know they're incoherent but i'm mm. not sure that they're coherent either right it, it seems like at least there's a, a significant question about whether they are coherent yeah because because if i've got all these other damage decay deprivation all these sorts of things it seems like you could completely dismember me Right. But I'm somehow still alive. You could throw my head into like one country yeah. and like the, like my other limbs in different countries, right. and I'm like, but I'm still alive somehow. But dismemberment's actually a good. Sorry, this is getting a bit gruesome, mm -hmm. but dismemberment's an interesting case to think about, right? Because so the laws of this world have to be such that suppose we've got you on a sort of you know uh, torture bench, mm -hmm. and we've got the circular saw, and we're sure, kind of right. cutting off your limbs, and then but there'll be some threshold such that like the what will happen then like the saw just won't be able to cut anymore or, or right. like what, like just anything to prevent the death so, something would have bizarre to, yeah, yeah that does seem very bizarre yeah so i guess i do i guess i have the intuition that if i've got these other sorts of like harms in the world and no death like that does seem an incoherent world i don't know what sort of complex laws of nature to introduce that could make it possible yeah maybe it is the case but it seems implausible to me yeah okay so i can see why this world in just in general, it would not be a good world um, and also possibly not even a possible world. 
But so let's look at some other combinations here then. Uh, so we've got um, a world where, say, we've got death, but uh, say, say creatures are just subject to decay, but not damage or deprivation. Mm. What would be terrible about a world like that? Well, I think what would be terrible about a world like that would be that so creatures are all still going to die. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very bad thing. So then the question is, like, what makes up for that bad thing? Now, if we're in a world where there's no damage or deprivation, what else has to be different in that world from our world? So if there's a world in which there's no damage, that means there's a world that that world is one where creatures are not free to harm each other. Mm-hmm. And then if we're not... So if I'm not free to, like, punch you uh, and have it do any damage, mm-hmm. that that must mean that there's, like... Uh, that this world is one where we we don't really have any responsibility for each other's well-being. Right. Um, I mean, not actually none at all. Like, if we cannot in any way damage each other, mm-hmm. can't deprive one another of any goods, well, that world must be one where we don't need each other for any goods right. whatsoever. So then when you start thinking about, well, that that world has the the bad of death has the badness of death and the you know the badness of the slow descent into death but it doesn't have any of the good stuff that our world has yeah so i guess if i'm looking at a world where there's just death and decay but no damage no deprivation i mean it seems like i could just i could just go sit off somewhere just fly to the moon and be alone uh, and it'd be about the same i mean nobody can harm me nothing can harm me yeah in any other way i'm just waiting for death yeah, you're just that's right. And you're yeah, you're just waiting for death by yourself. And then that that presumably because the thing that's gonna kill you is decay, mm-hmm. like that's not going to be particularly pleasant. Right. And so it that that does that strikes me as a pretty a pretty rotten world to be in. Mm-hmm. And again, I guess I, I again I feel this is an implausible world because the idea that like I couldn't cause damage or harm like in these sorts of ways, that thing feels really weird. Like like why yeah. couldn't I just go around punching people and that like harm them in any way? I don't know. So, yeah, so I, I think it would have to be a bit like a computer game where you've got cheat mode engaged. Mm-hmm. Like you, <laughs> okay, yeah. maybe you could go around like mm-hmm. punching people and shooting them, but no, right. and nothing would happen. But to nothing them. would happen to them. Okay, uh, so I can see why this world sounds pretty terrible. So let's look at a, another case here, though. So say I get rid of decay. So what about a world without decay, but I do have damage and deprivation? What would be so bad about that kind of world? Yeah, I think what would be bad about this kind of world is is similar to what would be bad about a world where there's um, where we can hurt each other but not die. So, um, if you think you know about two creatures getting into a fight, suppose that you know one creature gets pretty badly wounded but not quite to the point of dying, then like it looks like it's possible, it, nomologically possible, which is to say it, it's consistent with the laws of nature mm-hmm. in this world that that creature could just languish in that messed up state uh, and nothing kind of finally puts it out of its misery. Mm -hmm. Because with decay, you have like a guarantee, even Mm. if it's, you know, a while to wait. There is at least that guarantee that the creature is finally going to be put out of its misery. Once you take that out of the picture, you have a world where there is the scope for creatures to get badly messed up and just stay in that state forever. Mm -hmm. And that sounds just... Just awful to me, at least. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at this uh, this last combination then. So, what about a world with damage and decay, but no deprivation? Yeah, I mean that kind of world. I I will say that that seems to me like less obviously bad than the other ones we've just been talking about. Okay, so it's slightly better. Slightly better, I think. 
the reason I think this world would still be not, not a very good world is that if there's no deprivation, that means that there are no goods outside of ourselves that mm. we, we need. That's going to be a world where sort of human beings can live as these sort of islands isolated off from one another. You know, we're not going to depend on each other for any of the good things that make a life go well. And that strikes me as a worse world in the sense that people can just kind of drift through life kind of not really having to have any social contact with other mm-hmm. human beings whatsoever. There's the the thing about needing goods that, you know, outside of ourselves and that only other people can help us to get is that that kind of creates a pressure towards sort of a social existence, which seems to me to be one of the, you know, the greatest sources of, of goods that we enjoy in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. So especially if you are a Christian and you have the sort of Trinitarian understanding of God, so you might think that in some sense God is a social being because right. there's three persons. So you might say like, well, this is a great good that God wants. So he wants to create a universe where there's where creatures have reasons, good reasons to yeah. engage in, in social activity. And if you've got a world like this, well, there seems like there's no reason to engage in social activity. So that seems quite bad. I th- yeah, exactly. I think that's right. And I think, I mean, actually, another thing is that um, you may have brought up to me at one point. Is it, there is a question about the extent to which damage uh, and deprivation can really come apart from oh, each right, other. Yeah. Because once you start to think about this, like a lot of forms of damage can be sort of cast as forms of deprivation yes. and vice versa. So if I think about like, well, you know, if if you strangle me, mm-hmm. like you harm, you, you damage me, but the way you do that is by depriving me of oxygen, which I need. Right. And I think that when you start to think through examples of these types of harm, it becomes quite clear that most, if not maybe all of them, can be sort of translated into mm-hmm. the, the it, you can put it in terms of damage, but you can also put it in terms of the deprivation of a good. Yeah, no, I remember coming up with this uh, this objection. I remember like, like my, my wife was like, so what'd you do all day? And I was like, I was trying to think of ways to strangle mm-hmm. Max. Uh, and she's like, why would you do that? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out this is a logically possible world. And she was like, ah, you philosophers, I don't, you know. Um, so yeah, so I, but I think that's We're right. So violent. It's so violent, you know, but yeah, I think that's right though. I think these 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 harms are connected in a sort of way that it, it it's really difficult for me to conceive mm-hmm. how you could have a consistent law of nature without all three of these harms together. It seems yeah. like if you're gonna create a universe you're going to have to have all of these harms right. in the mix. Uh, so now all these other universes that we've talked about, where they're lacking one of these harms, they sound really terrible. And so it seems like you're wanting to say that it's better for God to create a universe that has damage, decay, death, deprivation. Like, you know, it's got all the Ds. Yeah. Now, can you tell me a bit more about why a universe like this is better for God to create? Yeah, I mean, I think that basically there's a sort of package of goods that God is aiming at or or I should say that God may be aiming at I think Mm -hmm. we have some reasons to think he would be aiming at these things and when you you kind of lay them all out you you sort of see that they they kind of require each other so I think maybe that one way into this is to think about what kind of world do you have to have in order to have creatures who are free and um, who bear kind of a significant amount of responsibility for each other's well-being. Mm-hmm. And I think once you start to flesh that out, then then you sort of start to see that this whole package of stuff all comes together. So what does it take for a world to have creatures 
who is who are dependent on one another and responsible for each other in in serious ways not just like you know you can kind of punch me and and give me some pain for five minutes but like you can actually seriously alter the course of my life for, right. for good or ill and i think once you do that you start to sort of you can start to build up a list of kind of features that this sort of world would have to have so i think it would have to be a world where creatures have bodies mm-hmm. right because if creatures don't have bodies then it's not clear to me that they would be able to sort of have some locus whereby they can kind of direct their intentions towards another creature's being okay like there has to be some kind of public object right that can be perceived by other creatures and whereby a creature can sort of act through that object and be acted upon um in through that object such that you kind of need a sort of matrix in which these creatures interact mm-hmm. with each other and and it and so it does seem to me that if they're going to be able to to kind of have these impacts on one another one another's lives for for good or ill you're going to need embodiment Mm -hmm. um exactly what that looks like i mean presumably embodiment doesn't have to look exactly the way it does for us in terms of like having two legs and two arms and a head and so on But still the idea of a person being connected to some chunk of matter some chunk of matter that other creatures can perceive Mm -hmm. and and can act on i think that that seems pretty pretty essential to me the other thing is, I think you're going to need these creatures to be rational. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to need to be responsive to reasons and not just sort of brute pushes and pulls and, right. uh, or just desires. Because it, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of moral agency or moral worth right. if they can't be responsive to reasons. Exactly. And it, it, if, they're, if they're not responsive to reasons, then it's not really clear to me how we can talk about them being responsible in any morally significant right. sense. Yeah, that seems right to me. Okay, so so if God wants to create a universe where he's like, I want some, some creatures that can be socially responsible, really have a character mm-hmm. that has moral worth, I need to create a, a world where there's physical agency, or physical beings, get some sort of moral agency. Yeah. And then I have to start figuring out the laws of nature, and you've detailed what yeah. some of those are going to look like. Okay, so if God wants to that, that goal of creatures like this, the sort of universe he's going to create, that number of universes is much more narrow. Yeah, that's right. I think um, I think a lot of this is about trying to think through like what are the real options that God mm-hmm. has when we we talk about you know God could create any logically possible world. Yeah. Um, but then the question is like which worlds are logically possible? Right. And sometimes when we think at a sort of big picture level, we kind of think that God has this really wide range of choices. But then you know, like we were doing a few minutes mm-hmm. ago. You start to think about, okay, what would the laws of nature have to be like in in a given world for right. creatures to be able to harm each other, but never to the point of death? It then starts to become much less clear that that is really even a, a possible world at right. all. Yeah, because I, I know that like if I'm having a really awful like moment in my life, I might start thinking, seems like God could have easily created a better mm-hmm. world than this. Yeah. But deeper reflection... <sighs> Doesn't necessarily make me doubt that it's that God can make a better world than this, but it does really make me think. Hang on, the scope of possible worlds yeah. does seem a lot smaller than I thought. Right. Uh, so maybe this is a much more difficult question than simply like, "Come on, this world sucks. Just get rid of that part, <laughs> that part, that part, and it'll be maybe fine." You know? Right. Right. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Excuse me, 
Could you tell me what time it is? Oh, that's right. It's objection time. Objection time! Alright, so Max, now you've given us a better understanding of your view, Mm. I would like you to consider some objections. And this will help us gain an even deeper appreciation and understanding of your position. Yeah. So we've got two objections I want you to consider, and so let's just start with the first one. So uh, a common objection that comes up within discussions of the problem of evil is, is usually something like this. Why didn't God just create a universe with creatures who already have their souls built? Like, in other words, why didn't God just create a universe where we're just in heaven from the start? Because you said earlier, that's, I mean, the idea is that God wants to create a universe where this yeah. universe does eventually become blissful. Why didn't he cut out all the crap from the beginning and just put us right there? The, the, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think the um, the way you answer that is is going to come down to the way you weigh up the kind of the goods and evils that this world exemplifies. I mean, I think probably what I want to say about that is that the the type the types of goods that God can get in this world and only in a in a world of adversity do justify the the sustaining of a world like this for a time mm-hmm. but not for an infinite duration ah, okay so I, I think that it would not be a good thing for god to allow a world of adversity let and let that just be a shorthand for a world of death decay deprivation damage mm-hmm. yeah i think it would be a bad thing for god to sustain a world like that indefinitely but i think it would be a good thing if if a world like that existed for a certain dura- a certain finite duration right but then i think um the blissful kind of world that the christian tradition claims god will fashion out of this one um that is a world that is good for god to sustain um forever um and so i guess that so th- that would be sort of how I think about you know the relative durations of the two types of world and and why it's good for God to to do things that way. But then in terms of the, I think they do also need to be connected in a certain way, mm. right? So I think in terms of the the, the world of adversity, I mean I I gestured at this already. It seems to me that it may be logically impossible for God to get beings of our type without. A causal history roughly like the okay, sort of yeah. one that 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 we think our species has had. The other thing is that I I'm not really convinced that God can just create me sort of ex nihilo, mm-hmm. fully formed in terms of charity, love, patience, um, all of that kind of stuff, without there having been any kind of causal history leading up to that moment where those virtues have had to grow and be tested and, and develop and so on. So, because I, I want to make sure I'm following. So, so say God's just like, I'm just going to create a completely virtuous Max. Yeah. Boom, snap, did it. There he is. And yeah. you want to say, well, hang on, that is that really a virtuous Max? Because he's just been kind of programmed yeah. from the start to be perfectly virtuous. Whereas uh, the mm. causal history Max that you're talking about, that's one where, where Max himself is actually... Yes. owning these uh, these virtues. He's, he's doing things to cultivate that virtue within himself. And you're saying, like, that's real virtue. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think, well, l- let me um, maybe nuance that a bit. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure that he couldn't do it. Sure. But here's something else, I think. I think there's great value that is realized in him actualizing me with all the virtues over mm. a process. Um, 
uh, over a period of time in which those virtues have to grow. I mean, I think you could think about this in terms of like, there's this really beautiful oak tree in the cloisters of New College in Oxford. Mm -hmm. It's been there for like 800 years. Oh, okay. Now, like, I think... Well, I don't know. Maybe God could just kind of zap a tree just like that next, you know, into being next to it. Sure. But it would seem to me that the one that's had this growth process over a period of eight centuries, somehow there's more value that is instantiated by that tree Mm. than the one that God just saps into being. And I think that that would be... And and I think if there is anything to that intuition, I think it's all the more so when it comes to the growth of moral character virtues, that there's something really valuable about the very process of those virtues being cultivated. Okay, because I guess I do have this intuition as well. Like, I do think it would be really cool if God just zapped another tree into existence. I'm like, that's pretty neat. Um, But the idea of, well, this tree has been here for 800 years, there is something that, some sort of sense of awe that Mm -hmm. I have towards that. And I don't know why that's the case, but I do find this intuition in myself. Yeah. No, I don't don't know either why we have that intuition. And maybe it's misleading, but yeah. But I I, I do think... This idea that God sort of cultivates a a character in me through this story, Mm -hmm. there does seem to me to be something um, beautiful about that. Mm -hmm. And I certainly think that the the Christian tradition has very much thought in that way. And the the kind of biblical narrative as a whole is, in a sense, one big story of God trying to bring humanity up to this um, place of flourishing. Mm -hmm. So there's something more valuable, something more beautiful about this story that you couldn't get otherwise. Yeah, that's the thought. Okay. So now let's look at the second objection that I have. So you gave me an argument against a particular world in which deprivation and damage exist, but there's no death and there's no decay. Uh, and so in this world, creatures could be harmed in all sorts of ways, you know, but they never die. Mm-hmm. And and I like I, I like I admit like you made this world sound really awful uh, because it's just filled with like it looks like almost eternal torment. But that sounds a lot like the traditional doctrine of hell. So the <laughs> objection, I guess, is kind of something like this. So how do you reconcile your your arguments here for the, about God's universes, which universe he could create, uh, with like a traditional doctrine of hell? Yeah, that's a great question. I think maybe, the, well, one thing to say would be, like, if I was going to sort of try and defend a doctrine of hell in terms of eternal conscious torment, then the thing to say there would be that... The reason worlds of the sort that we were discussing earlier, where, you know, creatures can hurt each other um, but not die, the reason that would be bad is that there would be such large scope in that kind of world for creatures to suffer interminably in a way that's undeserved. Ah, right. And the, right, so the difference would be that according to a traditional doctrine of hell, the suffering in hell would be deserved. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Now, the other thing to say is that there are other ways of thinking about hell than, if you like, an everlasting torture chamber. So it could be that hell is more of a a self-chosen sort of state of isolation from God. Of course, C.S. Lewis talked about hell in this way and... um, and, you know, number of other authors in the tradition. Mm-hmm. So, so like Lewis had the claim that like the gates of hell are locked from the inside, right? Yes, that's right. And so, you know, um, I, I kind of find some aspects of the way he develops that view to be quite compelling. If there is anything to that, then I think the worry wouldn't, the worry wouldn't stick in the sense that a person would have chosen that, would have chosen to be in that state. And I, and I also want to say that I think, 
insofar as a person has chosen to be in that state, they could choose to cease being in that state. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be like they're being held there against their will. Mm -hmm. So if I've got, okay, so I want to make sure I compare these two yeah. accounts here. So I've got the the one story where it's like, just would God be permitted in creating a world where there's just this everlasting torment? Yeah. There's no nuance in that that sort of world about do these creatures deserve it? Yeah. It's just God's just like, I'm going to create them because why not? And sure. they're in this state of eternal torment. Meh, that sounds pretty terrible. Yeah. Whereas on a somewhat traditional understanding of hell, the idea is, well, these creatures deserve to be there. Yeah. And then if I've got a nuanced account like C.S. Lewis or some others, the claim is, well, they could get out if they would just seek to be reconciled right. to God, but they're choosing not to. Yeah. So it just keeps them there even longer. So there's there's a, there's a, this willed aspect to this to hell that's not in the, uh, you know, there's this awful torment world. Yeah, that, right. exactly. That's the Okay. Thought. So there's at least, yeah. So if I had objections to like this doctrine of hell in general, then I could get those up and running. But those would be separate objections, at least with regards to this. That seems like you can point out the moral differences yes. between the two worlds. I think so. I think you can sort of isolate the two. Mm -hmm. I think you can isolate problems about hell from the sort of stuff I've been talking about in terms of evil. Right. Okay. Well, that seems really good. Thank you. All right, so Max, this is the popcorn round where guests don't know the questions ahead of time. The questions can be random and the answer is more ridiculous. You have to answer these questions as quickly as possible, faster than one can say pop pop. Max, are you ready? I am. All right, question number one. How long does it take you to get ready in the morning? It takes as long as it takes my kids to get ready. Mm. So basically I'm constrained by their uh, chaos uh, in terms of how <laughs> right. long it takes me. Yeah, fair enough, okay. Question number two. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? Ooh. Do you mean like prawn crackers? No, 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 no. Uh, in America, we have these crackers. They just look like different animals in a oh. zoo. So they're not made but of But they're not made from animals. No, well, not as far as I know. I mean... Um, that's an interesting one. Uh, I guess, like... If I bought into the reasons that vegetarians give for being vegetarians, then I might just worry a tiny bit that it's kind of creating vice in me by mm -hmm. eating stuff that looks like an animal. Right, okay. Even if it's not actually harming an animal. Oh, well this, okay, that's interesting because, uh, so you've heard about these like these new vegan burgers, that they're, they're the Impossible Burger. It's supposed to be like it tastes oh, it just tastes like the real right. thing. Yes. Yeah, and if that's the case, if I do have certain reasons, then I, I might worry that, oh gosh, just creating an Impossible Burger does create a bit of vice in me. <laughs> Yeah, I d well, that's an interesting one, because in, in theory, like, if you give it, you know, if we wait long enough, it might, we might come to a point where people forget that burgers used to come from animals. Okay. But, but I suppose the thought would be, like, with the animal crackers, like, it, it sort of looks like mm -hmm. an animal. Right, because one looks like a monkey, another one looks like a giraffe, right. and, a, and a lion, and a tiger. And I think there's actually, a, um, like, a ringmaster, like, from the oh, circus, wow. there's actually a human in some of them. Um, oh, that, mm -hmm. right, so would, yeah, that, that would certainly seem weird to me to eat the human cracker. <laughs> Alright, fair enough. Alright, question number three. Is there such a thing as objective beauty? Ooh. I haven't given this one too much thought. I, I want to say yes, but I can't really back it up with anything. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Question number four. Do you have apple bottom jeans and boots with a fur? <laughs> and have you ever had the whole club looking at you? I probably have had the whole club looking at me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have any of the items of clothing you've just met. 
mentioned. The reason I probably had the whole club looking at me was that apparently I used to dance as if I was trying to swim. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I just try to describe, what, like, how do you dance like you're looking like you're trying to swim? Like, um, you-, you know, like, do a f- imagine you're doing, like, a front crawl. Uh-huh. And, okay. And that was roughly how I danced. So... D- did you so was it, did you meet your wife like before she saw you dancing or like uh, after after okay okay yeah she knew what she was getting she knew, into. okay well there we go that's what I was curious okay <laughs> all right question number five what is your favorite kind of tea oh um rooibos tea rooibos. or redbush okay yeah yeah it's it, it's um really good for helping you go to sleep actually mm. yeah I really like it okay so good like sleepy time yeah sort of tea. Okay, okay. Now, now the final question. Have you ever slapped someone in the face? No, I don't think I have. Okay, okay. So you haven't actually fully got into this harmful world that you've been... uh... No, I've been very sheltered from the harms that I've been describing. Not bad, all right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. And that ends the popcorn round. You done a pop pop? (laughs) Disgusting. You done a pop pop? And there you have it, another episode of the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes on DNA, consciousness, and listener questions. 